welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Word. And I'm True. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Sequapan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequapan Ulu. And today's text, well, Joe, we're looking at sort of like a rock star, the novel, mm-hmm. and the movie adaptation altogether now. And I'm right. pretty sure the novel is pretty much placeless, but I welcome corrections on that. Okay. The film, though, altogether now takes place in Portland, Oregon, the traditional home of the Cayuse, Umatilla, Walla Walla, Cowlitz, Clackamas peoples, as well as the confederated tribes of the Grand Ronde and the Stilettes Indians. Joe, mm-hmm. I have been not looking forward to recording this episode. I mean, I've been looking forward to talking with you and also crossing this off the list so I can purge it from my mind Folks, we're going to be on record right off the top. We both absolutely despised this novel. We are going to welcome feedback from people who enjoy either Matthew Quick as a as an author generally, or if they like this book in particular. This one was the most epic struggle bus read I have had in quite some time. And cards on the table completely. I, it turns out I can't read anything by Matthew Quick. And I didn't realize that (laughs) when we started this. But then when I looked at everything else Matthew Quick has written, this is like a long list of my DNFs. (laughs) Joe, like, I didn't finish Silver Linings Playbook. I didn't finish Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock. I didn't finish The Good Look of Right Now. I didn't finish We Are the Light. So I'm not sure what I was expecting here. Mm -hmm. But boy, howdy, I... (laughs) You finally finished one. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. And it is one of his highest rated books on Goodreads. And I think that's important. Like, Joe and I were talking before we started recording. We know that people like this book. Yes. Yeah, the stats prove it. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's probably like some charming aspect that we're missing, or we're getting tied up in the fact that the voice is just one of the least believable things I've ever read in my Ooh, life. Oh boy, if you have to say I'm a chick or I'm a girl <laughs> about 25 dozen times, then who are you trying to fool? Yeah, exactly. Um, And in general... I also didn't like the film, but we'll talk about that when we get there. I I just think that this book is trying to say some stuff about poverty. Mm -hmm. It's trying to say some stuff about like hardship and addiction. And grief to a lesser extent. And I actually, I think the book is actually strongest in its depiction of grief. Like people are ugly when they grieve and this book captures that really well. Mm -hmm. But everything else, it's super melodramatic. It's over the top. And I guess I should give a plot summary, Joe, but I kind of don't want to. (laughs) I'm intrigued to hear how this is going to (laughs) go. Oh God. Okay. So I, first of all, I don't have any notes. Just, I want to put that on the table. Usually I have just general freeform notes of the things that I found most important in the plot, which Joe, you usually point out to me are not the most important things in the plot. (laughs) (laughs) But today I have nothing. So, okay. So our main character is named Amber Appleton. She is a really 
in the book, not high achieving, I wouldn't say student, but like someone who everybody in the school knows they can go to for support and help. She volunteers a lot. She's got sort of big plans. She'd like to go to Bryn Mawr University. She wants to become a lawyer. She has all mm-hmm. these dreams. Right. Yeah. She also has a deadbeat mom and yeah. an absent dad. And they are unhoused. They live on a school bus because, um, well, at the beginning, we get told that Amber's mom's boyfriend kicked them out. We later learn that in one of her mom's like sort of only positive moments in the text, she actually walks out on the boyfriend for the way Mm -hmm. he treats Amber. Uh, It doesn't stick. She tries to go back with him and they end up living in a bus. But, you know, right. Her her mom has a, a sort of moment of strength. Anyway, all this to say. Over the course of the narrative, we really become acquainted with all the difficulties that Amber lives with, and she's ultimately like this really hope-filled young woman. She volunteers her time lots of places. She works really hard. She's really trying to make up for all of the things that she doesn't get from her mom, and Mm -hmm. also she's desperately trying to keep the way they live a secret at her mom's behest because asking people for help is bad. That is the general <sighs> theme that recurs like 900 times in both the book and the movie. And if you're exhausted about it now, just wait till you've read like 300 pages. I mean, I found the book far more egregious. And we should note that the book is from 2012. So we are hitting that sweet spot where we were still using the R word liberally. We were still really insensitive to certain things. So mm-hmm. folks... I apologize, but the repeated refrain that Amber uses in her first-person narration in this book is that charity is for cripples and old people. Yes, yes. And it's like, that's the kind of exquisite language that Quick is giving us throughout (laughs) this book. He has a tendency to find a word or a phrase such as word or true and just repeat them ad nauseum. It's really weird because teenagers don't talk like this. I don't think we talk like this in 2012 either. Oh, no, I'm sure that we didn't. I'm sure that word felt extremely dated uh, at that point. Anyway, all this to say, Matthew Quick's decision seems to be to take a character who already has a hard time asking for help and just just batter her with horrible things. Trauma porn? Until she eventually has to uh, be helped by someone. In the book, her mother dies, um, Mm -hmm. and she descends into a profound grief. And the only thing that pulls her out of this profound grief is discovering that her dog, Bobby Big Boy. Yep, Triple B. We're just calling him Dog, okay? I'm not going to say Bobby Big Boy 900 times on this podcast, so just Dog. (laughs) Yes, her dog has cancer and needs a not incredibly expensive surgery, but because Amber refuses charity, she insists on raising it herself. But this is the thing that brings her out of her grief stupor. And you're right, I agree. The the grief stuff is ugly and messy, and it makes Amber even more unlikable than she Mm kind of was before. But this was the part of the book that also feels the most authentic. We've also glossed over the fact that her mom doesn't just die. Her mom is murdered by a serial rapist and murderer of women. And she goes to see the body. Mm Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah. A lot. Yeah. 
So anyway, Amber ends up raising money via some variety show. And that's the kind of heartwarming part. Like everyone in Amber's life, even the people who are reclusive uh, war veterans, uh, the Korean lady she teaches ESL to, the old men and women that she works at the retirement home for, they all come out and perform various numbers. And she raises more than $200,000 because some old biddy named Joan the Old... (laughs) ends up dying and giving her her inheritance so that she can go off to college and make something of herself tear jerky happy ending not just her joe every single person in the old folks home writes her into their will so that she will have a substantial college fund that will also Mm -hmm. end up paying for her to go to law school it's a lot it's a lot and to me this is where the goodwill for this book comes from. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's in the quality of the writing, which, as we've said, is quite grating and very inauthentic. Like, this is an adult man trying not very hard to write a teenage girl and failing wildly at it. But I will confess, the book made me cry in its climax because (laughs) it is... There's a satisfaction when everybody pitches in to make this poor, destitute girl's life better through money, despite the fact that no one could care about her beforehand. Well, this is the thing, right? It's like the lesson is the wrong one. (laughs) The lesson Mm -hmm. is like, keep going over the top forever and one day you may deserve charity. Not everybody is inherently a human being deserving of love and care. Mm -hmm. And the film does this too. It's really bothersome to me that like the reason this girl is deserving of the community to come together is because a she has had a series of the most horrifying things happen to her in her short life Mm -hmm. and b she gives of herself to the point where she doesn't have anything of her own and those are the two things that make her deserving and i find that just a really distressing central message of the text Yeah, like the book, one of the most persistent figures who refuses to give up on her, there's there's two men, essentially, there's Ty, the guy that she will eventually kind of discover she has romantic feelings for, who insists that they will all come back together as this group of friends, and they will go to friendlies to get ice cream. And at that moment, then we know that she will be better, which is Mm -hmm. the thing that they do at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. But there's also Father Chi, who is the guy who works at the korean church oh we also haven't mentioned that amber is super duper religious yes very catholic specifically catholic yes so Mm -hmm. hence part of the hopefulness but also this kind of goodwill deserving of um just generosity from people right so father chi comes to visit her nearly every day and she keeps saying you know like well why do you keep coming here like i'm i'm such a cat aka she's being catty she's being And he eventually says the whole reason that my congregation has doubled in size is because you're so good. You fill me with hope. You bring God's love closer to me. And she yells at him for putting her on a pedestal. But that's kind of what the book's message is. It's like, she's so good. That's why she deserves all of this. As if to say, by extension, or if you're reading between the lines, if she was any less good, she wouldn't be worthy of this. Yeah. And and I think all of this is compounded by the fact that Amber doesn't feel like a real person. No. One of the most shocking things to me, if you go through Goodreads and you read all the reviews on Goodreads, Joe, 
Mm-hmm. The number of people who applaud the voice of this book, oh, who applaud what? the character development, who applaud the quote unquote, I'm reading from one right now, an effortlessly realistic voice of a teenage girl. You've never met a teenage girl, my friend. Like, there's just no way. I'm baffled. I'm honestly baffled. Like, I'm not <laughs> trying to be rude, but from the jump, the first paragraph, I knew that this was going to be a lot of work to get through because yeah. this just it doesn't work. The writing is really, really not good. Yeah, obviously, I 100% agree with you. And and for me, that's the biggest problem is that there are actually a lot of choices in the book, structurally, that I prefer mm-hmm. to what goes down in the film. Um, like, I think that, you know, having this absent father instead of this sort of perfect idol father works a mm-hmm. lot better in the book. I think that the relationship that she has with Donna makes more sense in the book. Like, there's lots of things that should be better. Like, so folks might remember that we said we were doing an experiment this time around and we were going to watch the film first and read the mm-hmm. book second. Right. What what a book to <laughs> try that with, Joe. What a week to do it. <laughs> This should have been such an easy win for this book because we both finished the film and we're like, well, that was a pile of ass. <laughs> like, and then we come, we come to the book and we're like, oh, wait, maybe the film isn't that bad. And it yeah. all, it 100% comes down to the voice and the construction of Amber. She is not, she is not a real person. It's not just that she doesn't sound like a person. It's that she doesn't behave like a human being. Hmm. Everybody has to varying degrees struggled with asking for help, right? Mm-hmm. But the extent to which this character has internalized this notion that that she shouldn't ask for help, that she shouldn't reach out to people, mm-hmm. like she would starve rather than eat a sandwich offered to her by someone. That's not, it doesn't make sense. And like, ultimately her motivations all generate from this this one character trait and because Mm -hmm. i don't believe that i don't believe any of it and so all of the sort of like annoying quirks with language or the sort of overdone like deserving poor bs becomes Mm -hmm. amplified because i don't believe in this character in the first place yeah and it is unfortunate because i think there you're right there are some good elements in here like this idea of a girl Mm -hmm. who is selfless realizing that she needs to ask other people for help and becoming more comfortable Mm -hmm. with that that does sound like a story that's worth reading or a teenage girl who is unhoused and how does she deal with that in a way that she still maybe has a a quote-unquote normal life all of these are okay but yeah there's all the issues that you've identified with and then there's like the superfluous characters like there's just so many characters there's so many elements in here where you're just like (laughs) pick any one of these and you could have written a whole book about it so first of all her group of friends is five people but only one of them is a person um Mm -hmm. right like only ty gets to be a human being the others are archetypes we have Chad, who is just sort of used as this, like, look, she has a disabled friend. There's Mm -hmm. Jared, who is like the shy one. Joe, the thing I should have done before we came here today is try to read some disabled critics writing about this book, because Hmm. I, the way Ricky is constructed, 
So Ricky is a character with autism. He is Donna's son. And I would actually say that he's more significant than Ty. Like Mm -hmm. Ty has a bigger role in the film. But in the book, I actually found that Ty was kind of like, oh, is he important? Because he seemed to disappear a lot. Well, I guess that's true. The back half. I'm sorry. I think I'm spending more mental energy in the back half. But I think there's something about the tropes of autism that Quick Mm -hmm. leans on here that I find really upsetting, right? It's like Ricky is – he's good at math. Mm -hmm. He repeats himself all the time. Yep. Amber keeps saying, oh, he he doesn't have empathy because he's (laughs) autistic, which is not – that's not true. That's not, it's not a true thing. at all. Nope. It wasn't true in 2010 either. Yeah. And like the even the way Donna speaks about him, like Donna is his mother. She's this incredible advocate for him within the context. But the way she talks about like, oh, I know about this because I have a kid with autism. Like it's mm-hmm. just, I really, this is the reading I should have done is to find out what disabled critics are saying about this book. Because I found the way her friend group is sort of like, look at this constellation of weirdos, mm-hmm. <laughs> profoundly upsetting. And the only reason Ty hangs out with them, we're told, is because he's the only black kid in school. So he yeah. like gets lumped in with the misfits. And like, there's no problematizing of that. There's no like, huh, mm-hmm. this community has some lessons to learn. There's no like, wouldn't it be nice if Ricky was integrated better into the community? Like- there's none of that. <laughs> Brenna, um, I think you're forgetting all Don't of the stuff with Mr. Franks and how no. we crash a PTA mm. meeting so that we can talk about how there aren't handicap accessible ramps and how uh, Chad has to be put in a backpack and get carried around the library and all this stuff. But then at the end of the book, the principal just says, well, what do you want me to do? Like fix all the problems? <laughs> Like, none of that ends up resolved. And the one life lesson that Amber was supposed to learn from that was that Mr. Franks didn't want her to do that, that she didn't Mm -hmm. ask him before she advocated on his behalf, that she doesn't treat him like a human being. Nope. That's the only lesson she's supposed to learn from that and also the fact that she goes to his house to, like, weird out his wife. She never learns that lesson. Never. No. What what she learns is that there are other people that will give her a hug willingly as opposed to jeopardizing this poor teacher's marriage by stalking him at his house. It's but Brenna, so it's heartwarming. Creepy. It's so heartwarming. I'm sorry, I cannot get rid of the sarcasm in my voice because all of these encounters are so grating. And, the, you know... We've had so many conversations about unlikable teenage girls <laughs> And like, this is one I cannot, I cannot excuse. I sort of enjoy that you cried, Joe, um, mm-hmm. because I know how mad you are about yourself for that. I, yeah. my heart was resolutely unwarmed by, <laughs> by this book. <laughs> that is the appropriate response. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah, I, um, I know that we have been really snarky and it is with no snark at all that I say If this book is meaningful to you, I genuinely want you to read it. We will devote an entire mailbag episode to defenses of this book because I am Mm -hmm. so, so, so curious. Is it like reading it at a younger moment in life? It has a different impact. Is it that you related directly to some of the experiences? Is it Mm. the grief stuff? Like, what is it? Because I'm just so curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't get it either. Mm Mm-mm. Well, why don't we talk about the film and cool, see I hated if that, that too. does any better? Okay. 
Is everyone ready? Yeah. yeah. Okay, stand up, stand up. Hit it, Father Chi. Hedrix, Fox and Fox, and Amber. Hey. Hey. Hi. Have you hooked up with that boyfriend of yours? Joan. Youth is precious, so you should enjoy it. <gasps> so, for the variety show, Ricky's gonna do a pun off. Put me down as Lingo Star. I love it. Uh, Mr. Franks? No. What? You are on on all the world's a stage. The end. Right? Is that what it is? I don't know. I have work to do, guys. So I've been trying to text you, but I keep on getting delivery failure. Mom? I'm sorry. We're gonna be okay. I'm gonna aim low, Mom. We're gonna be spectacular. Just my girl. Mr. Franks, can I show you something? Whoa! You're being asked to audition at Carnegie Mellon. That's incredible! Mom, what's going on? They found out I got fired. Amber, we're gonna figure something out, all right? What's going on here? Donna says I can stay here for a few nights. Absolutely not. I'm the mother. I'm the one that keeps things together. Really, Mom? I'm doing my best. Mom, we can start over. Life is so much more complicated than you think, baby. The pain that you're feeling, channel it, put it into your song. That's what an artist does. And you, you're an artist. Okay, so Sorta Like a Rockstar becomes All Together Now. It is a film from 2020 directed by Brett Haley, who we have previously discussed on our episode, All of the Bright Things. Interestingly enough, this movie did take some some time to get together. Uh, you were correct. It, the book was published in 2010, not 2012, as I said earlier. So this took 10 years to get adapted, and it has four screenwriters. So in addition to Matthew Quick working on the screenplay, we also have director Brett Haley working on it, as well as Mark Bash and O.I. Parker. It also went through a number of different directors at one point. Bryce Dallas Howard, right? Yes, at one point, Bryce Dallas Howard was supposed to direct this. Apparently, there were scheduling conflicts. That's the reason why she didn't uh, end up doing this. I feel like Haley is actually a good fit for this. As soon as you cued me to the fact that it was done by the person who did all the bright places, I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so our cast is we have... Olivier uh, Cravelho as Amber. We previously talked about her on our episode on Crush. So a little uh, real-life queer representation in our lead role. We have Renzi Feliz as Ty. I recognize him from Runaways. Uh, we have Judy Reyes as Donna. Justina Machado as Becky. That would be uh, Amber's deadbeat alcoholic mom. We have Anthony Jacques Jr. as Ricky, C.S. Lee as Father Chi, and then our stunt casting is Fred Armisen as Mr. Frank, so he is no longer a fat <laughs> redhead. He is cutesy Portlandia, Fred Armisen, as well as Carol Burnett as Joan. Who doesn't perform at the variety show. Yeah, it, it is a little bit wild that, uh, you know, you've got Carol Burnett and you don't have her perform in this variety <laughs> show. But it also seems like we maybe had for for a couple of hours. So we just filmed her in this one room at the retirement yeah. center. In general, this plot, the way they've rewritten it for the film, um, it's mm -hmm. obviously tighter, cleaner, a lot less messy. A lot of the choices yes. make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And also, it seems just completely phoned in, Joe, because like... <laughs> 
<laughs> so here's an example of how I see this plot is being totally phoned in. So at the end, they're like $2,000 short on the surgery, which is much more expensive thanks to inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really tight. They're really tight. And then all of a sudden, we find out that Joan has donated $200,000. And then yep. that's the end. It's just like, oh, I consider you my family. That's the end. But like, at no point do we have like, maybe Joan is an alumna of Carnegie Mellon, which is mm -hmm. where Amber in the film wants to get into, which would make sense because then you've got Carol Burnett, the singer, Carnegie Mellon, right. the music program. Like, at no point do they like tie that up in any way and we just have her at the end being like i'm going to another audition bye <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like what yeah so that is one of the big changes in the film is instead of amber just wanting to get into the place that donna went to school because she idolizes her she is an aspiring singer so that's like her thing mm -hmm. and i think it totally makes sense I wonder at what point uh, Cravel Ho got involved in the film and if they maybe rewrote part of the character to suit the fact mm. that she can sing. Yeah, I think so, probably. Yeah, but it, it works because I think it gives the film, as you said, it it's a little bit more familiar. It's playing it a little bit safer, but it's basically, you know, here's this unhoused girl. She's got a mother who can't afford to feed her, can't afford to keep a roof over her head, but she's got these big dreams and a fantastic voice. All she needs to do is find the way to do it. But I'll I'll confess, I'm a little surprised that we didn't have Amber then sing at the variety <laughs> show and have like a Carnegie Mellon rep in the audience yes. or we videotape it and that's her audition because she had to miss it because her dog needed surgery. Like it feels like the movie is so pedantic in some of its choices <laughs> that you can't believe it didn't take the easy way out. Well, it doesn't. I mean, that part of it doesn't make any sense. And I also like... I get that it's a much more cohesive story to have this father who she idolizes and this mother who is only really a terrible mother because the father has died and it's all fallen apart for them. Right. Um, but it's also so much easier than what's happening in the book, right? Which is like, yes. this is all circumstantial. And, uh, you know, when, when I finished watching it, the first thing I texted to you, Joe, was like, oh, good. The deserving poor are here because that really mm -hmm. is what we have, right? It's like, if only her father hadn't died, all of these other horrible things wouldn't have happened to her. So there's right. no concern about like systemic problems that lead to a 17-year-old living in a school bus. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. We'll no. <laughs> We can just talk about how this is a really good person who one bad thing happened to. And, you know, we have this mother who continues to make a series of poor choices. And so we have mm -hmm. these, these contrasted characters in the film, right? Like Amber is good. And that's why good things will eventually happen to her. And Amber's mom is bad. And that's why she dies. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's such an unceremonious death. Like, you you know it's coming, but it is a shock oh where it's like, she and her mom get into a fight, her mom leaves at night, and then, unlike in the book, where she realizes mom didn't come home and we start a big search and then they find the body, like, 16 hours later, this is just, she goes to school in the morning and then she gets called into the principal's office and it's like, oh, I think I've done something. No, Amber, your mom is dead. And it's the way the whole reveal is like, your mom is dead. How? She was in a car. Was she drunk? Was she drunk? Like, <laughs> and no, it wasn't even your mom. It was Oliver. 
who was never even seen in the film (laughs) no yeah it's it's incredibly melodramatic and i i noticed that a lot of the reviews of the film give travel ho a lot of the kind of this is the redeeming factor because she is she's She's exactly the same winsome actress that we really appreciated in Crush. And I love her. I do love her. No, I completely agree. Like, she is selling this. Like, the Mm -hmm. rough patches of this film are smoothed over by how charismatic the performance is. And she's got good chemistry with Ty. One funny thing that we have not broached is that the book is white, 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 white. Mm -hmm. And this film has a Hawaiian person of color. Uh, We've got Justina Machado and Judy Reyes as Mm -hmm. the kind of surrogate mother figure and the mother figure. So it's like, I mean, I think that's the difference 10 years makes. But it it also, to me, completely changes the nature of the unhoused part of the story, if only it wanted to do something (laughs) with it. Yeah, no, we will not be addressing this at this time. (laughs) I was really frustrated because to me, that is the selling feature. Like the reason that you would read this book is because it's about an unhoused girl who needs to either accept the generosity of others or who needs to find her way into like, quote unquote, normal society by going off to college and doing the things that regular kids do. Those are a lot of air quotes, folks. But Mm -hmm. It's like there's such an opportunity to say something about how poverty affects teenagers differently because Amber doesn't have the capacity to lift herself up. So if her mother is an alcoholic who isn't getting help or who has been abandoned by the system or is at the mercy of these garbage men that she dates, like there's something there. But the book and the film just want to use it as an inciting incident to have this melodrama. And I'm really frustrated. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And in general, of course, there's nothing in the book that would make a screenwriter take on a systemic issue, right? Mm-mm, because there's nothing no. in the book that addresses systemic issues. Like, this is all very pat, like, sometimes bad things happen, but good people will help you. You just have to learn to ask for help. And not like, wow, what does it say that, you know, in the film, it takes the death of one member of a family to bankrupt the whole family? Mm-hmm. Or in the book, you can have this girl who is engaged in every aspect of society, but no one knows how deeply she's struggling. Right. We have no interrogation of that on either side. And I found that so frustrating. And I almost found it more frustrating in the film because the film actually has some ingredients to be good. <laughs> and the yeah. book like abandoned any desire to be good. But the film, I feel like this script could have been punched up dramatically. Yeah, I don't know if this is a problem with having four different screenwriters work on it. And it's possible that Quick was feeling very precious about certain elements of the source material being kept on. These are the mysteries when we're talking about adaptations and particularly when creatives are involved in both aspects of their project. But it's weird because like, there is a moment where Amber is at a low point. Her mom has not yet died, but she needs to get away because she and her mom are fighting. And she's really frustrated with her mother's sort of staunch refusal to accept the reality of their situation. Like her mom is like, what? I got you a hamburger. Why aren't you happy with the way I'm parenting you? And Amber's (laughs) like, we live on a school bus and I'm freezing. So Amber 
like she kind of confides in Ty. She's like, I need to get away. So he takes her to his giant cottage, <laughs> not even his normal house. <laughs> yeah. So he takes her there. We have this great musical moment. She sings the cute song, which is not poppy enough to like be a radio hit and not good enough to get you into Carnegie Mellon, but sure. (laughs) It's fine. Whatever. But all this to say, we have this moment. And then later on, when things really get bad, she throws it in Ty's face that she's like, I don't have a cottage to go to. (laughs) I'm just like... You asked him to go there. (laughs) And also, you never really thanked him. No. Like, the character is so much less grating, but this whole, like, oh, charity is for people who aren't me because I'm too proud. It either needed to be the main focus of this, or it needed to be pulled way back. There's also something interesting to talk about with the way diversity is used in the film version. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'd be really curious to hear if we have any Native Hawaiian listeners who have thoughts on this, but Cravalo is the beating heart of this film, Uh but her Hawaiian-ness is not anywhere in it. And in fact, she's kind of like, she's sort of generically quote unquote ethnic, right? She's got, she's got a Latina mom and her Mm -hmm. dad is, you know, some kind of brown. And it's interesting how the film is like... It clearly recognizes that the whiteness of the book is a problem, Mm -hmm. but doesn't, again, want to do any actual changes to the script to allow culture or anything to be on the table. And likewise, we have, you know, we have Judy Reese, who, by the way, like Scrubs fans, it's just so nice to see her on screen. I adore Mm -hmm. her. Oh, her and Justina Machado. I'm like, anytime they show up and stuff, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. It's a party. This movie doesn't use either of them very well. No, especially the scene where they could have fought. I was like, that would have been so good. These are two like standout actresses, like let them fight. And it just gets Mm -hmm. totally like undercut. Um, But it's something interesting, too, is that, you know, Judy Reese, a Latina woman. And then we have her son, Ricky, whose like central focus is his autism. But again, it's not like it's not explored in any real depth. His integration into the community isn't explored in any real depth. I'm just this feels like one of those experiences of like we'll just pretend it's just white people and we won't engage with any sort of cultural markers of the people we cast yeah it's especially unusual because when you read the book the default is white right like Mm -hmm. we we hear that donna has this long beautiful blonde hair and she's very thin and it's like blah But that's also kind of the definition for Amber. Like, Amber doesn't like the way she looks, but she clearly is, like, average to probably good-looking. And she just, like, doesn't have the clothes that fit her or whatever, whatever. Like, she she talks constantly about her small chest, which, again, cues me to the fact that this was written by an adult man. Oh, my God. (laughs) So uncomfortable. But, like, that that just kind of shines a light on the fact that all of her friends are these kind of diversity check marks, right? We've got mm-hmm. the black friend. We've got the wheelchair friend. We've got the autism friend. And then we, and we get have to the, the girl. Movie. Yeah, everybody girl. <laughs> and then we get to this film, and it's like we made deliberate efforts to be more racially inclusive, but then we're still checking <laughs> off all of the diversity check marks. Yeah. 
But again, it's like we don't want to engage with either of those two things in substantial ways. So just like the unhoused critique, it's kind of like, cool, you you put in bare minimum effort so that somebody might see themselves on screen, but none of these people end up feeling like true fleshed out characters. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's just generally a problem with both texts. Like, mm-hmm. for a movie and a book that are so ostensibly interested in, like, humanity and human failing, none of these people feel like human beings to me. No. Also, Joe, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I don't like either title. I don't like Sort of Like a Rockstar. I don't like Altogether Now. I know mm-hmm. where Sort of Like a Rockstar comes from. Inexplicably, right. it's a book about Jesus and how Jesus <laughs> is a rock star. It really is. <laughs> It was a while, Brenda. I did not expect that. <laughs> when we programmed this, I thought we were going to read a book about a girl starting a rock band. <laughs> so did I. I did not expect, did not expect the Jesus Rockstar connection. And then Mm-mm. there's this reflection that come, you know, that like to the people at the old folks home where Amber brings this much needed like hope and vitality to the women who she teaches ESL to, to whom she brings like this connection and this integration with like pop culture. Like mm-hmm. she describes herself as sort of like a rock star to these people so we have that yes all together now mm-hmm. is very explicitly a reference to the beatles yeah it, it's hard to get away from that why why is this movie called this <laughs> so the only thing i could come up with is that the only way to save again i'm using air quotes to save amber from her situation is for everyone to come together at this variety show and raise the money could it's no one weak. have sung all together now at the variety show? Like, mm-hmm. would that not have been an option? <laughs> no, it's not catchy. <laughs> Could she not have sung all together now in her audition? Why call it? It's just, it's the fact that it's like clearly the title of a Beatles song and it's a movie about a singer. And yet no one brings those two things together at any point. <laughs> Brenna, do you know how expensive it would be to get the rights? <laughs> Fair, fair, fair. But you're right. I mean, this feels like a studio note, right? Like, you know, we tested (laughs) sort of like a rock star. People like Brenna and Joe got confused, thought it was going to be a rock star (laughs) movie. So we tested a bunch of other nonsense titles. And the one that came out was all all together now. (laughs) Oh, God. I, I didn't like the movie. I hated the book. I don't recommend either of them. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if either one of these texts means a great deal to you, but I don't get it. Please write it and explain. <laughs> the end. That's the end of the episode. No, we have to play YA Bingo. Because here's the thing. I think we can get a line out of this. Ooh, okay, let's try. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Do you want to start? Okay, so I'm going to go with both ableism and abuse. Yep. House porn for the film. Yeah, absolutely. The variety show is tantamount to a perfect date. Not just the variety show, the whole singing at the lake house thing I would give perfect date to. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Good call, good call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Musicality, for sure. Yes, absolutely. We've got a working woman montage. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> Uh, do we think that this is a hollow romance? I would say for the book it is because the book yeah. is so non-committal. It doesn't even want to present Ty as a real option. 
Absolutely, 100%. Uh, Netflix connection, because this was, of course, a dump onto the streamer. Not just the fact that it's on Netflix, but the fact that we have Justina Mercado in this. I suspect this was right around the time that either One Day at a Time was on or One Day at a Time was getting cancelled. So I suspect mm. this is connected to her larger contract with Netflix. Right. <laughs> uh Obviously, we have to go with the chosen one, because look at how the community rallies around her. Mm -hmm. Inclusion flip. Yep. Um, I'm curious, would you read this as a bit of a borrowed time narrative or no? Yes, the back half of the book, basically from the moment we have the vet diagnosis until we mm. raise the money is definitely borrowed time, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we have a dead body, yep. multiple dead bodies in the film just the one dead body in the book and inauthentic voice oh, plus, yeah. plus 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 <laughs> a million times plus and i'm also going to give it to coincidental classes in the book for all the marketing club marketing mm. class sales stuff that whole thing yes yeah it's not enough that this is just the kindly teacher who lets you play xbox or ps3 or whatever gaming system they're doing Yes, also has binders full of marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're close. If we want to say good friendships, we will have a line. Can we possibly make the... Ooh, ooh, yes, we can. Donna mm -hmm. and Amber. Okay, in both or one in particular? In both, I think. I mean... Without Donna, everything falls apart, right? Because as much as Amber is like, I never ask anyone for help. She's out here eating Donna's food in both, in both yes. texts, right? Yeah, I think I actually appreciated the relationship between Amber and Donna in the book more because Donna in the film seems like a bit of an idiot for not recognizing how bad yep. things have gotten. Whereas in the book, Donna is like, you're basically living at my house. You're basically cooking food. Like, you're showering here. I know what's going on. Yes. Also, like, the makeup scene makes no sense in the film. Can we just no. say that? Like, you're already eating this woman's food, but her giving you a pouch of makeup is charity you can't accept. I don't understand. That was the scene that made me the most aggravated about Amber's <laughs> quote unquote, like unwillingness to accept charity. Because I was like, this literally doesn't matter. Like you could even keep this in the house away from your mom if that's what you're worried about your mom finding it. Yeah, it makes no sense. Whereas in the film, it's a really sweet thing where Donna gives her like a whole shelf in the bathroom and stocks it with everything she needs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one final one that I realize actually gives us two lines. We forgot stun casting. Oh, yeah. There we go. Fred Armisen, when all you have left in your career is stun casting. Oof. I mean, I'll give it to Carol Burnett. <laughs> all right. So, Brenna, let us never speak of this book again, unless, of course, people want to write in for the mailbag, in which case we'll talk about it on Friday. <laughs> And we'll talk about it respectfully, I promise. If you write in and tell us what really meant something to you about this book, we will treat it respectfully. It's just that right now we have nothing to hang our hats on. We just don't get it. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, well, let's leave this behind temporarily and move forward with, uh, you know, hopefulness. 
Speaking of hopefulness, I'm so excited that next week's episode is us finally watching the finally movie of finally Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I am so excited. <laughs> yes, it feels like we've been waiting for this forever. We have been waiting for this forever. I've been waiting for it since like the early 80s. Well, the late 80s. Well, the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> Regardless, we're excited because it also looks good. It does. It actually really looks good. I'm very stoked about it. And then after that, we have another international selection, which I believe, Joe, was a listener recommendation from Alex. We're going to take a look at Moffy. Yeah. So I have seen this film and then completely forgot that it was also a book until Alex uh, recommended it to us. So yeah, we're going to be heading to South Africa for this. So excited. Also, nice work, Joe. Way to remember. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So thank you so much for joining us on this journey that was so deeply moving to both of us. Until <laughs> next time, <laughs> if you want to get in touch or you do want to write in and tell us exactly what it is about this book that means so much to you, you can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B still my remote and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. And for anything more long form, of course, email is best. Get into the mailbag, hkhspod at gmail.com. We, mm -hmm. we survived, Joe. We did it. We lived. We did it. Even Cass didn't want us to make this episode. This delay is hilarious, by the way. Leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. For, for a movie and a film, a movie and a film, who doesn't perform at the variety show? No, because she has to die. Does she die in the movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, she does not. Oh. No, she does not. I'm confusing. Let me take that again. No, she totally doesn't die. <laughs> Do we have a delay, Joe? We have a big delay. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to try it enough. This up for your editing. Okay, sorry. Hang on. Oh, no. Okay.